Does running a business feel like a race against your competition or a race against yourself? Do you find yourself setting bigger goals or working harder and doing more only to figure out that you need to slow down and choose maybe a different race? Sometimes we chase the wrong goals, stuff like 10K a month or six figure years, maybe even wanting to be a million dollar, million dollar copywriter. And our guest for the 238th episode of the Copywriter Club podcast is personal brand strategist, Marietta Gentiles Crawford. She compared her own business to running a race as we talked to her, and she shared a lot of really good ideas for using LinkedIn more effectively. Before we hear what Marietta has to share with us, this podcast episode is brought to you by the Copywriter Think Tank. The Think Tank is our private mastermind for copywriters and other marketers who want to challenge each other, create new revenue streams in their businesses, receive coaching from the two of us, and ultimately grow to six figures or more. Up until last year, we only opened the Think Tank once a year, but today we invite a few new members each quarter. If you've been looking for a mastermind to help you grow, go to copywriterthinktank.com to learn more. Okay, so let's jump into our interview with Marietta with a first question about how she became a brand strategist and a LinkedIn specialist. Okay, so Marietta, we'd love to start with your story. How did you end up as a personal brand strategist and LinkedIn expert? I really stumbled into it, to be honest. I started you know, I was an entrepreneur, as I call myself. I was working within different companies as a technical writer and trainer. And I usually ended up hating my jobs <laughs> and uh, felt like I wanted to make more money or I wasn't getting promoted. So I became what was called a job hopper at that time. And I was writing my resumes and um, going through interviews. And through the whole interviewing process while I was trying to grow my career, I realized that it was my communication skills that really allowed me to pivot in so many different directions from where I, you know, went to school. I, I graduated with a degree in English and I was able to translate my skills into uh, accounting um, and then to pharmaceutical, to retail, to education all over the place. And so I realized through the process that it was more about, less about my skills and more about the qualities that people liked about me, where they would hire me. And I realized that it was this whole thing at that time, just I'm talking like 10 years ago, over 10 years ago, that was called branding. So that's how I evolved into the whole process because I became so great at it that I started doing it for other people and charging. And that's how I started uh, my business as a side hustle, doing, uh, helping job seekers. So tell us how you went about finding those first couple of clients that you started working for. Like, what were you doing in order for them to say, yeah, I want to work with Marietta? You know, now in 2021 or where we are now, I can say that it was content marketing. Um, in 2014, around 2013, 2014, LinkedIn was this thing that, uh, you know, people didn't know what to do with, but, you know, everyone plopped their resume or copy and paste it there. And we knew that job seekers were there. And then there was this thing called a publishing platform. And I loved to write. So I basically just started teaching what I know. I started talking about my experiences, um, how to land interviews. I really just started writing. 
And as I was starting to write, I realized that people were sending me messages like, oh, okay, how can I work with you? I saw your article that was very inspiring. Or people would find me on my website and say, I saw I saw your, your article on LinkedIn and I would love to, you know, I want to leave my job too. So it became this thing that even before it was a thing, I was selling my skills through my expertise. I was writing about what I know, not only through my personal experience, but how it can help other people who are looking for jobs, who was transition careers, who were starting business businesses. And I was able to turn this into, you know what? It's more than just your skills. It's about what makes you unique and what makes you different. And that's how I was able to translate translate um, transition from not only just having a side business, but a real business and eventually working um, with entrepreneurs and small business owners who wanted to use LinkedIn to do the same thing. So let's talk more about LinkedIn. What's what's really critical today, especially for the copywriters listening, if they want to build their expertise, they feel like they don't stand out online anywhere and they want to focus on LinkedIn. They know their clients are on LinkedIn. So what can they start doing today on LinkedIn, especially because it it does feel in a way really crowded on LinkedIn. It feels like there's so many copywriters on LinkedIn. Is it even worth it? And what do I need to do to stand out in a crowded platform? I love that question. Um, it is getting more crowded now that people are like, oh, it's actually cool to be on LinkedIn. Gary V is on LinkedIn. Other writers are on LinkedIn. Um, but I would say that the, the thing for copywriters that are looking to leverage LinkedIn for their, to, to you know get a copywriting gig, whether it's a freelance gig, an agency, in-house, or their own business, is to start from the point of your personal brand. I'm going to remove the buzzword out of it because I know some people don't even love the word. But start from a point of your personality, your characteristic, rather than your skills. Because the thing about it is that the reason why it's hard for certain people to stand out is because everybody is is saying the same thing. You know, if you are a copywriter and your niche is beauty, you're going to pretty much say, hey, you have proven skills in beauty writing. You know, you've worked for certain um, agencies or certain companies. You're an excellent writer. And that's, that's one of the favorite things I see when writers, we say we're excellent writers. And it's kind of like, well, you're supposed to be, right? So I would say start from what makes you unique a lot of times it's that story, it's your personal experience that makes you a good writer and not necessarily those skills like attention to details and good researcher that maybe people may think, okay, this is what I'm supposed to focus on. So in addition then to that personal, here's how you get attention, what do you do then on LinkedIn or maybe maybe other platforms as well, but on LinkedIn particularly in order to build credibility and your authority so that it's not just, hey, I noticed Rob on LinkedIn, but oh look, Rob is definitely, you know, the the preeminent person in this industry or, you know, this is definitely somebody that I want to connect with. I would say first thing is taking an advantage of that about section. Um, because it really isn't a missed opportunity for many people don't necessarily understand the importance of it. For example, I, I like to show how LinkedIn has evolved because if you recall, the about section actually used to be the summary section. 
um, where it was just a summary, and then they rebranded it as the about. And this is a great opportunity for copywriters because that's what we do. That's what you do. You tell a story. You do it for your clients. You do it in a way to um, inspire people to act. But yet, it's a missed opportunity for your own LinkedIn profile where Maybe you don't tell a story about your skills or what brought you to the path that you are. So I would say the first way that you can stand out and 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 bring that type of credibility is using those 2,600 characters to build out a story about who you are, what you do, and who you help. And then that in itself is going to make you stand out because everyone else is going to be saying the same thing. Maybe they had a little bit of information, maybe not. But if you can pull that compelling piece that's going to say, hmm, that's interesting. This person, you know, studied in India or this person, you know, wrote for wrote promotional ads at one point in their lives. These are things that's going to connect in a different way than broad skills and expertise. And then I would say is provide social proof. LinkedIn really provides an opportunity for you to support your expertise rather than just saying you're good, saying that you want work, showing it through your, you know, maybe adding pieces of that you've, you're proud of to your featured section, um, having when you work with a client, making sure that you have recent recommendations that are aligned with the type of jobs and clients you want to attract. So really having a 360 picture of your brand and thinking of LinkedIn as an extension of your website or your portfolio and not just a separate social media platform. Can you talk more about the about section in terms of the personality piece? I think, you know, some copywriters write and um, have an easier time writing personality driven copy, but it's not everybody's area of expertise. And so um, it sounds like we should tell a story. Can you provide any examples of what's worked maybe for you or for your clients with the story and the about section? Absolutely. Absolutely. So for example, so I can give you two examples. Um, for a client that I worked with, she, she's a business coach and she, uh, she was an intuitive coach. And some people may say, oh, that's really woo woo and very soft, right? But she also had a banking background. She also has a psychology background. So I love, you know, advising people to use the opportunities to kind of like, even when you're writing copy and you, you know, when we talk about cliches and someone, your audience or your reader may just kind of glance over something because they know that you're going to say the writing is on the wall. So instead of saying the writing is on the wall, you really want to make an abrupt um, comparison by just really shaking out something they didn't expect. So, you know, for me, everyone is an expert at branding, right? Some people may say, well, what does that really mean? You know, you're an expert. So one of the things that I like to to pull is that I have a technical background and I work in IT and that I work for Fortune 500 companies. And it does two things. It kind of is braggadocious, right? Because it's all about, you know, also validating your, your experience and saying that I can help you because if I did it for a Fortune 500 company, I can do that for your agency or for your business. But then it also shows that if someone is comparing you to someone else, they're like, wow, this person has the type of experience that I didn't I can't even say that the other person does. So that's one example that I do. And then for, you know, um, let's say if you're a copywriter and maybe your background is, you know, you you work as a 
um, a waiter or waitress at some point, you say, ah, you know, that really isn't important to what I did. But maybe you stood out because the way that you used to memorize names or write orders or there was something special about what you did. Pulling those unique traits that add to your experience outside of detail-oriented research and proven skills as a writer is for those little tweaks that can make a difference. So when it comes to LinkedIn, I hear, maybe everybody hears this, but there's always like this new thing that you need to be doing. So like video on LinkedIn, or I've seen a few people have access to the new feature, uh, the newsletter feature, where they can now send newsletters to their followers and that kind of thing. What is your, like, in your opinion, what's the thing that is working now? Or what's the thing that we should really be focused on? Because it's going to keep on working on LinkedIn. So we don't have to jump from this new feature to that new feature chasing an audience. I love it. Yeah, I don't believe in chasing an audience. And maybe it's because I have been on the platform for so long before it was full. I'm kind of like, this is what's worked for me, writing articles. I'm a writer at heart. So definitely videos are helpful, right? Because videos in, in content marketing, people are consuming information. You can get an idea of their personality. So it's a great way to connect with people. Um, but I will say that to answer your question, I would say what the first question I would say to someone is what feels the easiest for you, right? Because I'm going to be honest, I know that I need to do more videos, but I don't. I, I lean more to writing articles. So it's not to say that you're not going to try different things that may work because you always want to be open to that. But if you're going to be more consistent writing and adding your unique point of view and, and drawing in your audience from that place, then I would say start there. If videos, if someone is like, you know, I love writing for my clients, but when it comes down to writing for myself, I I have nothing. You know, I leave, I don't know what to write. Then I would say, hey, if videos are easier for you, do it. Um, so I think the first foundation really is starting from what's going to make you consistent, because that's going to have you see more of um, more results than jumping from the newest things. For example, LinkedIn has like the stories, like you mentioned. So it's like, well, should I be doing stories now? Or should I be, you know, hopping on polls every five minutes? And that's the actual poll feature. So it's just a matter of starting from a place of where you're going to be consistent and gauging the reaction and seeing what's connecting with your, your, your network. What is no longer working on LinkedIn? So we should not do this, especially for people who maybe like me are not on the platform as often, but if I do jump in there, I should not do these things. Oh, I love this question. Don't go on the platform and say, buy my stuff, basically. Um, <laughs> there's a, the thing, when I hear about pet peeves about LinkedIn, the biggest thing I'll hear some people say is, I don't check my DMs because every time I do, it's a bunch of people trying to sell things to me, right? It's, all, it's always a pitch or you do accept somebody and you're like, well, should I, should I not? LinkedIn tells me not to, but I heard you're supposed to, like all these confusing things. And then you accept the person and they're like, hey, I have a, you know, XYZ that I'm selling by my book. So I would say for anyone who is interesting, I, would, I call it LinkedIn curious, to start from a place of sharing what you know, engaging with people first, and not just coming on when you have a post to share or when you want to promote um, a, group, a group program that you have, because that's that's not going to appeal to people who, who don't have a relationship with you. They don't know you yet. They don't like you yet. They don't trust you yet. And one final question for me on LinkedIn, like how different do you, how different do you think the audience is there versus Instagram or Facebook or other places where we connect 
Um, because, you know, if you're showing up, say on Instagram and you're sharing all this stuff there, or maybe you're sharing it on Facebook and you think, well, I'll just drop it into, into LinkedIn, you know, every once in a while too, just to make sure I hit them. Like how different are we really talking to two very different audiences or is it overlap? There is an overlap. And I think that's the biggest misconception that what you use, it's more a matter of tweaking your approach and your strategy, but not necessarily your voice. Because some people feel like LinkedIn is like, you know, going into the corporate elevator or going into a library where you have to, you know, put on your best Sunday clothes. I probably just mix up all these analogies, but, you know, they feel like they can't be themselves. So maybe on Instagram, they're showing more of their personality, their humor in their writing, a little bit more of their provocative writing and, and articles. And then on LinkedIn, they're kind of like, well, I don't know if I should be doing this. Or I feel like I hear people say a lot. I don't think that I can be myself on LinkedIn. So they, they, they make their tone very bland or what they feel is acceptable. And what I would say is that regardless of um, the platform, your voice, your brand voice, and who you are as a writer, as an entrepreneur, as a freelancer, um, someone who has a side, who's doing this on the side, your voice should be the same. Who you are, who I see you or meet you as on Instagram should be the same person on Facebook and should be the same person on LinkedIn. Now, that's not to say that there aren't tweaks, right? Because there are sometimes maybe what approach strategically that may work for Instagram. And my best example for that is hashtags, right? So like for Instagram, you can use like 5 million hashtags and they're a combination of terms and names. Some people may take that same post and use those hashtags on LinkedIn, but it's not going to have the same effect. So from a technical standpoint on a platform, it may be different. But when you think about who you're trying to attract, who your target audience is, your voice should be the same because those are the people that you want to connect with. Okay, so let's let's talk about uh, more visibility PR outside of LinkedIn. So when I checked out your website, so impressive, and you have all these big, big name logos, publications on your site, you've been featured. I don't have it in front of me, but by a lot of big publications. So can you just talk a little bit about that? Like how, how did you get featured? What is, if we're seeking similar visibility, um, how could we approach it? Uh, what should we do? Yeah. And, and thank you for that. Um, I, I appreciate that. And I'm, it humbles me, honestly, because when I did start to get those credibility markers, um, my first plat I mean, when I was blogging and even when I was writing on LinkedIn, LinkedIn was my blog um, for a, a long time. That's where I was able to just share my ideas. And then I started. It didn't happen overnight. And I feel like sometimes, you know, we're in a culture of everything being this instant gratification where if you pay a certain amount of money, maybe you can get a Forbes column or a Forbes feature. But when I started over eight years ago, I literally was writing on my blog and I eventually started pitching to smaller blogs. And I remember there was an industry blog called the Personal Branding Blog that I started just really getting my feet wet, understanding how to play with headlines and, you know, what's going to work, uh, list article, you know, all the different things that I was now starting to learn and take more seriously as a writer. And then I was able to pitch to a bigger um, company. My first big, big one was The Muse. It's a career. I don't know if you're familiar with The Muse, but it's like a career um, website. And it took me three years to um, get on uh, a byline on the Muse. And I would send them a pitch all the time. It was about personal branding. 
and I would hear nothing. It was like radio silence. And one day I was just like, I had an idea and I said, I want to email them again. And I just just decided to be myself. I, I, I'm cheesy in, in like, you know, in my writing, I reference 80s music, maybe food because I love food and cheese. I love cheese. And I think I said something like, here's some facts about me that you may think are amusing, right? And, um, you know, play on the word amuse. And as cheesy as that was, that's when I got a response from one of the editors <laughs> after three years of pitching them. And she said to me, I love your pitch. I love how clever you were. The topic that you're pitching, we've done all over, all, all, we've done it all the time. And you come back to me with some ideas that are a little bit different. And from there, that's what I needed. I needed that door, that foot in the door, which also educated me to realize that the reason why I wasn't getting a response was because I was pitching the same old ideas. Um, but once I just decided to be myself, and then now I, I was able to approach it differently with other outlets, understanding that they hear the same thing over again. So how do I stand out? And that really was the beginning. From there, I got featured. My articles got syndicated in Fast Company and Inc. And then once you do get that, that um, authority, it's easier for you to approach another company and say, hey, I've been in Inc. and Fast Company. I would love to write this topic for Business Insider and so forth. So do you think that your approach to the muse was um, because, you know, you were quirky, you know, leaning into your personality a little bit, would that same approach work for say fast company or for ink, or do you have to tailor the pitch to the feel of the magazine or to the personality of the, the editor that you're potentially pitching? Yeah, definitely. You do have to tweak. And that's the point, Rob, even to the point where you talked about like different platforms, right? Where, you know, what you're doing for Instagram, for Facebook. Editors are very like following instructions for anybody who wants to be in these, in these, um, you know, publications. My best advice is to find where they have the instructions and follow them to the T and adjust accordingly. For example, I love the Oxford comma. I am all, I, I'm passionate passionate about the Oxford comma. But that's why you're here. <laughs> but can you feel the passion? <laughs> but um Entrepreneur magazine, if I recall correctly, they don't use they, they specifically say in their style guide that they have published that they don't use the Oxford comma. So as much as I'm passionate about it, if I'm pitching or I'm sharing a story with them, obviously I'm going to you know, inhale a little bit and remove the comma that should rightfully be there. So, you know, it's really about paying attention. Editors get a lot of pitches. So, you know, always be unique in your angle and then be, be mindful of giving them exactly what you want. The positive part about that is that editors are always looking for new content new and, and writers. So where I've been able to build is also having a good relationship with them providing good quality content. They don't have to do a lot of edits, um, meeting deadlines. So these are things that add to making it easier each time. Let's talk a little bit more about your business and how your business is structured because you know you are a writer, you're a brand strategist. We have listeners who are in similar positions. Um, how do you work with your clients today? Uh, what do those packages look like? Um, can you just talk a little bit more about how your business is structured? Yeah, I, I basically am a thought partner and a branding strategist for creative, brilliant, 
um, coaches, consultants, copywriters, freelancers, experts who want to position their brands on LinkedIn. And a lot of times I work with people who are either LinkedIn curious or LinkedIn terrified. They have no idea what to do. And it's just like they need someone to just make it seem easy. And as cheesy as it sounds, again, cheese, I like cheese, um, I make it fun. I make it a natural part of their marketing and not something that feels like it's just another thing to do. Because when you think about LinkedIn, it's about relationships and building relationships and showing your authority. So the way that I work with my clients is usually through a mentorship experience where we're taking an assessment of their brand and we're working to develop that profile. The things that we talked about, the personality, what are we going to pull? What are your three key differentiators that we want to make sure are present? And then also, what is your strategy? Who are you trying to connect with? And then what is the best way that you're going to use that material, whether it's writing, whether it's um, videos, stories to connect with the people that you want to hire you? And what do those packages look like? How much, you know, if I, let's say I'm coming to you for help, I'm LinkedIn terrified. Uh, you know, I, I know that I need, you know, help either figuring out my brand or how I'm going to show up. Like, uh, are there two or three different packages that I can choose from? How much does it cost, you know, to engage with each of those packages? Yeah, so I've kept it simple and I've been niche resistant for a while, but I've learned that sometimes keeping it simple is really good. So my most high level package is a one-on-one uh, two-month experience that's 5000 And from that, I take, I take my clients from the very beginning of evaluating what they want, not only to do for their brand on LinkedIn, but overall, you know, connected to their business goals. So I call it the evaluation stage. And then the next stage is like the elevation stage where we start working on those things. Who do you want to attract? For example, you mentioned publicity. So how do we position these people to, for when the Forbes person is looking, that journalist is looking for them, or they respond to a, an editorial request or a, a, some type of posting that someone is looking at their profile and saying, ah, this is someone I want to speak to. I actually had a client who was featured on CNBC.com based on her LinkedIn profile and the story-driven approach that we took. And then the last stage is just the execution stage, because a lot of times what gets people discouraged with LinkedIn is that they read an article, they take a course or two, or maybe even a, a random strategy session, and then they do a couple of things here, a couple of things there, and then it's just like, ah, I give up because no one likes my post. And so the third and the most important piece of how I work with my clients is usually through that execution part where we're really finding what is their personal mix. So that's the that's the most intense way that I work with my clients. And then the smaller way that I work with my clients is maybe those who just want to um, enhance their presence. So maybe LinkedIn is not the most important part of their strategy, but they know that clients are finding them there. Maybe people are, you know, they're, um, you know, reaching out to the companies there. So they want to make sure their presence is good. And that one is, um, that package is for $2,000, where we're still doing the evaluation, we're doing the elevation, but the execution is um, more done independently. So the first package was, Two months, two months long. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I guess my question is, if you have a profile that you think is decent, like I, I did work with someone a while ago, and I think my profile is good. Maybe not great. It's like it's good, but I don't do anything else on LinkedIn. Like I'm a lazy LinkedIn 
marketer. I focus on Instagram. I focus elsewhere. So what is the minimum amount I should do? Because my people are there, right? We speak to copywriters. Copywriters are hanging out there. I'd like to have some presence there, but I also like, it's not where I want to spend a lot of my time. So I guess I'm asking you for like a slacker lesson on like how the minimum amount I need to do at this point to have a presence there without giving it a lot of effort. I love it. And that excites me too, because let's be honest. I mean, as much as I love LinkedIn, I don't really have a bunch of time to be on social media all the time either, right? So I want to make sure that everything that I do is effective, is focused, and intentional. So for the lazy LinkedIn approach that we're going to call this, I would say it's all in making sure that you have a client-attracting profile that um, is going to do the job for you while you sleep. So if you don't want to be on LinkedIn or maybe not that you don't want to be on it, for whatever reason you prefer Facebook or Instagram, but you want it to work for you, then it's like we would treat it as your website, making sure that it's dynamic, making sure that your social proof is there, and also making sure you're using it as a way to tell your audience what to do next, right? One of the top things that are missing from the LinkedIn profiles are call to action, right? People assume that when you put your link in 20 years ago, when you, you know, uploaded your profile, that people are going to look at that link in the contact info. And one thing I must say, please check your links because links are evil and often they're broken or they have been updated. But one of the things I would say is treat your profile like a lead magnet. And if you have, let's say, for the copywriting club, you have like an intro course that you have, or even when you have your think tank, your think tank and you want to, you know, guide people there during a certain amount of time when you have open enrollment or you're doing a promotion, maybe that's something you want to feature in the featured section or feature in somewhere within your profile that's going to guide that person and tell whoever's finding you what to do next. So to me, it feels like one of the reasons that people shy away from being on social media uh, or you know places like LinkedIn, it, it's because they don't want to be self-promotional. And I wonder where on the spectrum, you know, personal branding becomes self-promotion or uh, maybe even um, more overt, like, you know, overly promotional, you know, all I do is I sell my stuff, uh, you know, so like, how do I square that um, so that I have a great personal brand, but I'm also not afraid that I'm being self-promotional when I share it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I say like, it's basically the difference between self-promotion and personal branding. And I'm like, there's somewhere that you can be somewhere between Kanye West and mother Teresa, right? There's a nice little in between there. And that in between there is starting from a place of adding value first and foremost. So making sure that when you do show up to, you, you know, you're, you're giving really quality information, you know, adding value can sound fluffy as well, but literally Teach what you know, because people, when you think about all the different um, platforms, when we compare Facebook to Instagram, LinkedIn is the most tried and true platform that has been there before as far as what its goal is. And when people go to LinkedIn, people are going to LinkedIn for leadership. They're going for articles. They're going for content. They're going for advice. So I would say first and foremost, make sure that you're giving your best and not holding back because whatever reason. And then when it is time for you to sell and when it is time to say that I have a mastermind open, you're coming from a place of like, not only 
I have a mastermind open and I need to sell 10 spots because I want to make $10,000 and meet my quarter goals or whatever the case may be. But you're coming from a place of, I know my audience. I'm interested in what they, they, they need. I know I can help them. And this is why I, this is why I'm sharing it with you. So I think that's the approach. If you're coming from a place of giving and literally just nurturing and building relationships, when it is time to sell, and, you know, we always talk about the 80-20 rule, but I would say, you know, most of the time that you're showing up, showing up as an authority leader, showing up as a thought leader, but when it's time to sell, when you are known as someone who's adding value, and it doesn't feel icky, and it actually will connect better with the people who are following you. So let's break in here to dig into a little more detail on a few things Marietta mentioned. So Rob, to me, one of the gems was really focusing in your LinkedIn profile on that one thing that differentiates you from everyone else. And I know we talked a lot about sharing your personality, but I think even more than that, it's, it's looking backwards and looking at your previous experiences, previous jobs. A lot of what you and I talk about when we go through our X Factor training and looking backwards uh, so that you can figure out what you could highlight that will differentiate you from every other copywriter out there based on those previous experiences or jobs or credentials that the majority of copywriters don't have. Yeah, I, we've talked a lot about LinkedIn on the podcast and you know lots of ideas of the things that you're supposed to be doing. And what I really liked about what Marietta shared is that it wasn't focused on tactics. It's really just being yourself, really emphasizing that thing that makes you different and then following that up with you know, connecting with other people there and forging real relationships, not treating it as, you know, this business site where you have to put on airs or you have to be somebody that you're not, but showing up how you are, who you are and making connections that can forward your business. And I, I really like that direction. Yeah. And I know from so many of our conversations with um, copywriters, you know, oftentimes and, and so many website critiques, because you and I have been doing more website critiques in the underground recently, and when we're looking at especially about pages, it seems like there are these details that are hidden at the bottom of the about page in a bullet that are so powerful and so um, distinctive. And we hide those details too. And so, you know, it's it's if you were like, we talked to Nicole Piper recently, who was an executive for Nickelodeon and MTV. And that detail was almost hidden in her copy um, and could be something really relevant to her audience, right? Maybe maybe it's not, maybe it is. But um, I think the key is with the LinkedIn profile is figuring out those, those details that you're currently hiding that you don't think are important, but are actually really important and w worth adding to the about section or even adding to a headline or even adding into the hero section of your LinkedIn profile. Yeah. I think everybody who has tried to write their own copy is familiar with this phenomena that, you know, it's, it's so easy to write for other people. It's so easy to see what makes other people different. But when we write for ourselves, we lose the clarity that we can see in other people. And I, you know, as I was thinking about this, uh, actually earlier this week, it kind of dawned on me that, you know, inside our heads, all of us are, 
are rational. At least we think we are rational because we understand the reasons that uh, we've given ourselves for the things that we do. But the truth of the matter is that we're emotional. Everybody else is emotional. We all base our decisions, our actions on emotions and, and the things that we feel and we back it up with rationality. But again, once when we're in our heads, we can't see the emotional stuff that you know would appeal to other people. And so it can often be really helpful to have a brand strategist or another copywriter help draw those kinds of things out when you write your about page or when you you know are, are talking about the things that really make you different. Because again, we know what what you know we know inside our heads, but we don't understand how that translates to people outside. So I, I'm not sure that I'm being really clear on that idea, but it's a phenomena that we all deal with and and oftentimes we need to talk to somebody or work with somebody else to get over it. Well, yeah. I mean, it sounds like what you're saying is if this if this is something that you are struggling with as you listen to this, it might be worth getting that feedback, whether it's hiring a consultant or talking to a friend or a colleague um, or, you know, being a part of a mastermind group like the Think Tank or some some circle where people people get to know you and they can spot what makes you different, what makes, what stands out. Um, those little details that like you said, are so easy to miss and when we're looking at our own past and our own brand and personality and business. So I think the key is just to find that if you don't have it. Agreed. Another thing that stood out to me as Marietta was talking is just how much we all need to be working harder to get visibility. And I know, you know, there's so many copywriters who are introverts. We like working, you know, from home because we can be alone or, you know, all of all of those things that we talk about as copywriters. But the fact of the matter is the best copywriters aren't the copywriters who are making the most money, at least for the most part. I, I know I'm generalizing here, but the best copywriters, you know, uh, aren't the ones that are initially thought of. The people who are thought of and hired are the most visible copywriters. And yeah, it's better if you're awesome at writing and you're visible. But if you're only awesome at writing, nobody can find you. And so you do need to get visibility. You've got to be more promotional in your business in order to get yourself in front of the right clients. And, you know, you and I have been thinking a lot about this recently because we launched the, our, our new training in the underground and, and we've been promoting the celebrity copywriter formula, which is our formula for figuring out, you know, how do you get to that point where you're getting in front of the right people? What are the things that you can do? To, to get in front of that. And so, you know, whether you follow our formula or not, visibility is a really critical part of getting noticed by the people that you want to work with. Yeah. And visibility really stacks, you know, it just starts to stack up too. I mean, part of the reason I, uh, we had Marietta on the show is because we found her and she has such credibility if you land on her website from the different um, media platforms that she's been on. And so it's like, it's a no-brainer decision if even if you haven't talked to someone before when they have these big logos on their site to invite them on. And then you invite them onto your show and then they get more visibility. And so it just starts to add up. And I think the, the part about uh, Marietta sharing her story about pitching different media platforms was really cool to hear, at least for me, because she mentioned she you know, was rejected several times. I think she said for three years when she was pitching the muse. And um, it wasn't until she tried a different angle and became herself and was, you know, her cheesy self, right? Like, I'm super cheesy. I love that. And referenced 80s music and just kind of changed, you know, became more of herself and tried a different angle for pitching that she started to 
get traction too, but it took three years. So I think, I mean, what I took away from that was just like to keep trying, don't give up um, and try different angles and, you know, try to be more of yourself when you make those connections to different um, media platforms, but also just like it does start to add up once you get that first one and then the second one and it gets easier. So just kind of keep, keep trying to get in there until, um, until you make that first connection. Yeah, I think what Marietta was sharing dovetails really nicely with a couple of other interviews that we've done recently. You know, what uh, Brie Weber was talking about, you know, when she cold pitches clients, uh, you know, and she gets very personal and, and, you know, we walk through an example of how she does that. And also our interview with Selena Sue and how you can uh, use that first landed interview to, you know, you leverage that basically to get the next one. And then to get the next one, you kind of ladder yourself up until you're on these really high profile sites. It does take time. It does take effort. But maybe what Marietta is sharing here as, you know, really, you know, she mentioned being cheesy, how much she loves cheese or whatever. Um, but, but putting your personality into that and being unique, being maybe a little bit weird, being different is a way to catch attention a little bit faster. So I like that. Okay, so let's go back to our interview with Marietta and ask about the things that she's done right in her business. So listening to you, it's clear that you have done so many things right in your business and you know, you're having all these successes. Um, what would you say has helped you beyond what you've done on LinkedIn and what you're helping your clients do? Um, maybe even beyond the, the articles and the sites you were featured on. What else has been a key to your success as a, a small business owner over the last few years? Something that maybe we could learn from. I would say staying focused and not watching what other people do. Because I'll give I'll tell you I'll tell you, give you an example. Way back when I used to be a runner and I ran the New York City, my husband and I ran the New York City Marathon. Actually, it was the first time that New York City Marathon got canceled after Hurricane Sandy and we ran it afterwards. And it was running a marathon is like two different stages and the two different stages is how I think about my whole journey from being an employee to now being my own boss. And the first part is the training, right? You know, literally saying no to happy hours, which was hard because we had to do eight races before. Like you had to qualify to do the marathon. So I mean, you had to run eight races. That means that Friday nights we would have to be asleep because eight o'clock in the morning we would have a race. And obviously I guess that whole being healthy and stuff like that while you're trying to run 26.2 miles. And so I feel like I compared that training part to everything in my career as a full-time employee, as a consultant, to the point of like being in a cubicle, crying in the bath or crying in the bathroom because I'm like, I hate my job. I want to work for myself. So being to the point two years ago when I was three months pregnant and I finally was able to give my resignation because I was ready to start my business. So that's the first leg of it is that training and that preparation. And then when it comes to running a business, I compare it to the actual start of the race. And I never considered myself a runner before because I'm not fast <laughs> at all. So it's kind of like for those who don't consider themselves a writer sometimes, it's like, I write, but I'm not really a writer. It's like, I run, but I wasn't fast. And there were times when, you know, I remember that day we started out on the Staten Island Bridge um, first time I've ever been on that bridge and they were playing Frank Sinatra's New York, New York, I had goosebumps and everything. And, you know, you start a race and you're going, going strong and then you're watching this person. 
pass you. And that's what I used to do all the time. I would have somebody as a marker and I'm like, well, she's not going to pass me. And then they pass me. I'm just like, oh, forget it. it's okay. And, you know, it, you just kind of keep your pace. And sometimes you run faster. Sometimes you have to slow down. And I would say like the last, the hardest part of the journey was the, you would think like as you get closer to that 26.2 miles, I feel like the 6.2 was like the hardest. But as I started running and it's like from morning to nighttime, my steps became slower, but they became more intentional. And I finished, my husband and I finished, it took seven hours and 28 minutes, I believe, to finish that marathon. But my one goal was to A, finish it because I said, you know, we're all getting the same medal. So whether you finished in three hours or seven hours and 28 minutes, we're getting the same medal. But also I said, I didn't want to be taken by a bus. There was this bus that if you were injured, scooped you up and took you there. So I'm like, goal is not to be taken by the bus, not have to use the bathroom and then finish. So I use this example now in the sense of like, I'm not looking at who's beside me. I'm not looking at who's ahead of me. I'm following my pace. And I think that has kept me sane because in our world of marketing and online visibility, sometimes, you know, to your point, Kara, when you talk about people as being so crowded, sometimes we're just like, oh, I have to do what this person is doing to stand out. And if it doesn't feel good, then it's not going to feel good. So the long, long answer to that, but I would say what keeps me focused is just being okay with my pace and what works for me right now and finishing that race, even if it's with slow, intentional steps. I love that story because I, I do think a lot of times we get caught up in seeing what other people are building in hearing other people's numbers and thinking that, you know, either we're falling behind or that we need to be doing something differently. So knowing that, how do you then determine what's the goal for you in your business each year or each quarter, uh, you know, so that you are growing, maybe not necessarily revenue, although probably revenue, but that you're growing your skill set, you're growing the kinds of clients that you're working with, you're, the kinds of projects that you're working is always getting better. How do you, you know, figure out like what that goal or that vision is? I think it's how I feel, right? I mean, the reality is that now as business owners, you know, when people are trying to compete and we're trying to do the most because you have to be on Clubhouse, right? At Clubhouse, I'm not even interested in. When people start talking about like how they spend hours and hours, I get really nervous and I'm like, no, I don't even need to even know about it. I'm, I have a droid, so it doesn't even matter. But I say like, how do you feel? Because when we're chasing so many squirrels and we're doing all the things, you're not feeling good. Or even if you're working with clients and you're not getting paid, like I know that's something that comes up a lot in, in, in the group. Sometimes it's like, well, I'm working really hard, but I don't, this is not what I should be making. Or I'm not making a lot. So I think that, 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 that internal check is how do you feel? You know, I mean, I, I think it's unrealistic to say that if you love what you do, you're always going to love what you do because work is still work. I want to sell seashells at the seashore um, and write on my laptop. But so this is still work. Right. But if you feel good and energized by it, for the most part, that's how, you know, to me, that's how I gauge that I'm on the right path. And when I feel like I'm working too much, especially if I'm as a writer, like if you're working too much behind the scenes with someone else, you're not doing things for yourself or maybe spending time with your family. And maybe you have to say, hmm, I wanted to make this goal. Maybe I wanted that 10K or that 20K month. But I need to slow down because I'm not feeling good. 
I'm not being present with my family or, or for myself. So it's going to look different for different people. But I think that we also have to be mindful of that balance because with one great thing, you could be sacrificing the other, which could actually be your health and, and your, your, your own you know, sanity. To follow up that question, we've been talking a lot about productivity, time management. Um, Rob, what, what's the book that we're reading? Oh, here it is. We're reading Done by Noon, uh, so we can be done by noon in our businesses. Uh, so I'd love to hear about your schedule and and how you structure your days. It sounds like you mentioned you have a, th- a three-year-old? A two-year-old, yes. Two-year-old. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So how do you structure your week and your days so that you do feel good and you can get you know great work done? Um, what does that look like? You know, I really focus on what... I have to wake up early. I just post, actually wrote an article about like, uh, you know, these kind of making fun of the fact that people sometimes say you have to wake up at three o'clock in the morning to be, um, you know, productive and run and drink tea. And I, I love anyone that can do it. I just can't. Um, but I do find that I often have to wake up early before everyone is up to get my work done. And then I focus on what is the most important thing. So literally probably in, I'm sure in the in most productivity books, we talk about prioritization, right? Prioritizing what are the top three things. So I usually spend my day early morning getting things done um, as far as like writing to my email list, making sure I'm posting for LinkedIn. And then I spend like my a block of time maybe in the evening on project work or connecting with people. So I keep it really focused and how I know if I'm doing too much or that balance, and I use that word very lightly as off, is my measurement of how, you know, how present I am with my son. So like even for this week, this week has been like a crazy week and it was so beautiful. I said, you know what? I'm going to stop what we're going to do. We're going to put on our jackets and we're going to go for a walk. 10 minutes. That's all it was. But it's being mindful of those things because I think when we're getting into the rush of, you know, doing everything, you can easily say, I haven't left the house in days, right? You know, I, you know, you're with your family member, your significant other, but are you really present? So that's something where I'm like, I'm not perfect at it at all. And I'm, it's really something that I struggle with, but, but I, I measure it by like, okay, I'm just sitting down on the couch or am I taking the time to, you know, take a walk with my husband and my son. And then it feels, it feels good. So trying to be mindful to do that more, but it's not easy. You know, while we're confessing the things that uh, don't go so well, let's yes, let's go a little me. deeper. Like, what are what are some of the? No, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna confess my my things. This is I'm interviewing here. So, but what are some of the other things that you've struggled with in your business, or some of the mistakes that you've made, and you look back and you're like, oh, I wish that I had done something differently, or I wish I'd done you know something else. Um, you know, walk us through one or two of those. Taking on projects that were not right for the money. Um, you know, when you're when you're a business owner, there's ups and downs, right? I mean, there's so many people that makes it and me for you know make it seem like it's always up and I'm making six, seven figures and I'm a millionaire. But the reality is that there's sometimes ups and downs for various reasons, right? It could be um, your personal life, it could be whatever is whatever is going on. So I think the mistake that I've taken at times is just not underestimating the time that a project would take. I mean, right now I have very clear packages, so I don't have that problem. But before I would charge like per project or do freelance, both, you know, ghost writing and so forth. And the project seemed like a great idea, 
but then you realize the work is always more than what you quoted. So then you end up doing so much work and then you realize that you got paid two cents for the whole project and you're burnt out and tired. So that's definitely a mistake. I mean, when I started writing, I used to do SEO writing and I remember getting paid $2.75 for an article. It was how to remove um, tattoo removal. That was the keyword. And it was like the worst writing ever because they wanted it so stuffed with keywords. And that's how I started my writing career doing SEO writing. And it was like, I said, oh, it was from those little platforms. You pick a project. I'm like, oh, tattoo removal. How hard can that be? And that was like hours on a Sunday trying to stuff tattoo removal into a 500-word article. And I'm like, $2.50. And so, you know, lessons learned years ago, or maybe 10 years ago, so that like, maybe that's not the best use of time. And what seems like it's going to be a quick and easy project for the money if you need it right now, you're probably better off saying no and positioning yourself for something that is more lucrative and a better use of your skills. Yeah, it's even hard to hear you say that and talk about that project because it's just it's just so close to home for so many of us where it's like, oh, I've been there so many times and uh, it can still creep up even when you've been writing for, for years. Can I just say one thing, which is just really, I still, I still cringe. One of the articles I used to write was on structured settlement. It was, it was my first job that I pitched on my own independently as a freelancer, you know, and Every time to this day, 10 plus years later, when I see structured settlement commercials, it's like, oh yeah, I can relate. Uh, okay. So I'd love to hear about what you are excited about the next, maybe it's the next phase of your business. Like what's coming up for you? Any changes, shifts, or is it just, you know, is it continuing to do more of what you're doing and just honing in on what's already working? Yeah, it's just, it's running my own race. It's literally those steps that, that, that in that marathon and reminding myself not to look at who's in front of me, who's beside me, but literally just being more comfortable in my skin, being comfortable with my voice and being comfortable with my expertise and how I know that I can help people. And that has been, that will continue to be my focus because when you trust your skills, when you trust what you can do and the results you can offer, then you just kind of have to pull everything else to the side because it's not going to matter at the end of the day. So that's the end of our interview with Marietta. There are a couple of other things that maybe we should touch on, Kira, you know, just before we wrap up. I, I love the comparison of, you know, running the business uh, to a marathon and her experience running a marathon. You know, the really good times in marathons, you know, the people who are winning, winning them are, are, you know, really close to two hours. And so even, you know, taking a slow approach to a marathon and, and finishing it in, say, six or seven hours, uh, I think is a really good metaphor for the, all the things that we do in our business. You know, we do not need to run that race that we talked about at the very top of this episode. You know, we don't need to be chasing 10K months or, you know, million dollar years or whatever the thing is, like our businesses need to work for us. And it's okay if we take them a little bit slower than what everybody else around us is doing. Yeah. And I, I know, you know, you're a runner, Rob, so that speaks to you. And I, I've done one marathon, um, so I can relate, but it was, I chose the easiest course. I Googled, you know, what's the easiest marathon you could sign up for? 
I think that's like the slacker in me. And it apparently is the Chicago one. So I signed up for that one because it's so flat and that's the only one I've ever done. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's a great comparison to running your own business. Eat lots of bananas along the way. <laughs> Don't pay attention to the other people around you. Just do your thing. Um, but yeah, I think what's really cool right now is it seems like a lot of the conversations uh, that I've been having recently with other copywriters, especially like copywriters in the think tank and the underground, have been centered around that same idea of like, I'm excited about growing. I'm excited about doing what I'm doing, but I'm not going to go at the pace other people are moving at, or I think I should be the speed in which I think I should be moving in this industry. And it does seem like so many copywriters are getting that and really living up to it. And I know that's not easy and and so many of us still struggle with it. I mean, I still struggle with it too, but I do think it feels like a shift in the conversation, at least that we're having in the copywriter club around this, um, just, I don't, this acceptance that we don't have to play, we don't have to play this game and we don't have to keep pushing it. And I think maybe after 2020 and, you know, that difficult year for so many people, it's like, we kind of get it. It's just not worth it. and, And it's not necessary. And so- I, I like that this change and conversation has happened and we can focus on what we want to do and not what everybody else is doing. Yeah. Now I need to correct you because you said I'm a runner and I think that that's a real disservice to actual runners. Uh, I, you are I a go runner out, in my mind. I go out and I run, but I'm not sure that I would consider myself a runner. I, I actually like spending more time on my bike, but I, yeah, I agree with everything that you're saying there, you know, um, chasing somebody else's business goals is not the right way to build a business. And we all know the things that we want, or at least we can take the time to figure that out. Uh, you know, we, we touched on that idea with Dave Ruel uh, just uh, last week, I believe. And, you know, figuring out like, what is the vision for your life? What are the things that you want to do? How, you know, do you need time to spend with your kids? Or would you rather pour it into, you know, creating something really unique or being known for something, right? Like we all get to choose those goals and, and maybe your goal isn't any of those things, Uh, but, you know, choosing your own goal and, and running your own marathon is, uh, is really the way to, to move forward. Yeah, and it's it's really cool to just think about like the different types of growth that you're talking about too. It's not always financial. And actually, some of the really ambitious, successful copywriters, um, you know, the ones maybe we even have heard the name of, it's really fun to talk to them and realize that the financial goals aren't always driving them. And it's something else. And it's often around time and getting time back, or it's about, you know, a lifestyle shift, or it's about something else entirely different. But I think the key is just to figure out what type of growth is important to you this quarter or this year. And sometimes it's financial, sometimes it's health, sometimes it's related to personal interest and um, personal development or many other things. Um, But you can be ambitious in so many different areas other than just financial gain. And I I think the other side of that too, is just being okay with making mistakes in our business because we're all trying, we're all growing, we're all learning. And sometimes there's this idea that, you know, I can't launch this thing because it's not perfect or, you know, I'm not ready to do this idea that I have. And, you know, you and I have said this, I don't know how many thousands of times on the podcast and when we've been coaching people, but we look at everything in our business as an experiment. And, you know, you try something and if it works, lean into it and do it more. And if it doesn't work, it's not necessarily a failure, but it's an opportunity to learn and figure out what can you do differently that might move you forward towards 
that goal. And so being okay with the idea that we're going to make mistakes is huge. And I appreciated what Marietta was saying about some of the things that haven't gone really well in her business and some of the missteps that she had, because we all have them and it's great to hear you know others share them. So we say, oh yeah, uh, I made that mistake too, or that's something that I can avoid and I'm going to you know figure out how to get around that in a better way. There's so much power in just being able to make those mistakes. And, and it, even in business, just to be able to say, I'm going to make the most mistakes and then I'm going <laughs> to- we, we own that. We own that title. I feel like we can own that. And then it's like, yeah, and then I'm going to help others maybe not make the same mistakes. And and there's you know there's a business there too. So um, it's something we can all embrace. Yeah. Whether it's fast growth or slow growth, it's, it's, uh, it's all doable. All right. So we want to thank Marietta Crawford for joining us to chat about her business and to share a few ideas for using LinkedIn more effectively. If you want to connect with Marietta, you can find her at Mary brands4u.com. That's M-A-R-I-B-R-A-N-D-S-F-O-R-Y-O-U.com. You can also download her free guide about the four ways to profit from your personal brand on LinkedIn. And of course, you can connect with her on that platform too. And that's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. Our intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please visit Apple Podcasts, leave a review of the show. And perhaps more importantly, if you're ready to invest in yourself and your copywriting business and grow your business in the coming year, visit copywriterthinktank.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better. Copy and make more money. Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club.